It's time for the most interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now Pushing the Limits, here's Brian Shapiro. All right, what's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. It is Pushing the Limits, and so glad you could join us on what is a very sad day in this country. Once again, another mass shooting. We'll get to that, unfortunately. Coming up in hour number two, I've been talking uh, a lot, as, as many have in this city, and, and it's a national story as well of this local Las Vegas basketball official who was assaulted by a coach. Just had surgery the other day. Inches of his life. Well, the official that was uh, right in between that, right in that whole situation, his name is Sean Rowe. He's going to be joining us in studio. Tell us exactly what happened, what he saw. As well as the director of the Southern Nevada Officials Association, uh, Vince Kristansik. So they'll both be joining us in studio in hour number two. I want to get... First-hand witness to exactly what happened, and that's exactly what we're going to get. But I start the show off today, it's just uncomprehensible. I mean, it's just, I'm almost at a loss for words. As I was emotional yesterday when I heard these stories of these innocent second and third graders that were just sitting in a classroom at school, at a local elementary school in Texas, and... um, 19 of them are now dead. 19. Innocent kids. Almost a copycat to what happened at Sandy Hook. Two teachers were killed and 19 students at an elementary school called Robb Elementary School in Texas. An 18-year-old gunman, and I will not mention his name, shot his grandmother Posted it on Facebook that he was going to shoot his grandmother. Luckily, she's still alive, but she's in critical condition. She's the one who called 911 after she was shot in the face by her grandson. And then after he shot his grandmother, he grabbed his AR-15, got into a car, got into a car accident. And here's where the story gets very strange. Because police were attempting to pursue him. And somehow he found his way into this elementary school, and that was his plan, by the way, on foot, after getting into this crash. Went into a couple classrooms and executed two adults and 19 kids. And I just think to myself, the last moments of these young kids' lives, how scared they must have been. And what was going through their minds, the last moments of their very short life. I'm sure it was a normal day for them, saying goodbye to their parents, or maybe I love you and have a good day at school. And that would be the last time the parents would ever see them. And I remember when this happened in Connecticut, where I grew up at Sandy Hook. 
as a bunch of eight and nine year olds were killed. Nothing was done then. And I'm not sure anything's going to be done now. This isn't one issue, not just mental illness, it's not just guns, it's all of the above. And I can't even imagine what was going through the minds of some of these parents all day yesterday when they didn't hear from their children and they were not sure if their children make it made it out of that elementary school alive. I can't even imagine the pain that they are going through this morning and the pain that they will go through for the rest of their lives at the hands of this madman. And then we have people out there who say, well, guns don't pe- kill people. People kill people. Well, there has to be a person behind the gun that does it. But when we had an assault weapons ban, and Joe Biden was a part of that, gun violence went down. And then when that ban was abolished, violence went up three times. This was another assault weapon. This was not a knife. This was not a pistol. This was an AR-15. The only reason why weapons of that magnitude were built were for mass casualties, which is why I call them weapons of war. AR-15s and these types of weapons were not made for hunting deer. Weapons of these magnitude were not made to protect your home. They were made to be used at war. And now we have a bunch of 10-year-olds that are dead. Now we have a bunch of kids that will never be able to live their life, go to high school, and try to live their dream, whatever they wanted to do. And I see the faces of these kids because some of their names and their images have been released by the media. Innocent children. But if you listen to right-wing radio and these despicable Republicans, because that's what you are, who refuse to do anything about this. And Governor Abbott, or as I like to call him, Governor Abhol in Texas, who wants to say thoughts and prayers and want to say, well, it's just a mental illness issue. It's not just a mental illness issue. We are living in a country where an 18-year-old can walk into any gun store and buy as many salt weapons as they want and ammunition. Then where are we at in this country? What are we doing? And I am so sorry to the families of these kids and to adults. But Governor Abbott held a press conference today, and he said it could have been much worse. That's what he said. We lost 19 innocent children, and the governor of Texas said, boy, this could have been much worse. Don't get me wrong. I am sure that police law enforcement there, they did everything they could. At least I would assume that. This happens time and time again. We remember the Texas El Paso shooting in Walmart. I just was talking to you about a shooting in Buffalo where a bunch of elderly black people were killed, if for anything else, because of the color of their skin. And yet we have idiots on the right that criticized Joe Biden yesterday, saying that in his speech he made it too political. No, he didn't. This should not be a political issue. We all need to do something. 
And we have 50 senators, sitting senators, Republicans that refuse to do anything because they want to remain in power, the Marco Rubios of the world, and they all have blood on their hands. I can't even begin to imagine what these kids, the last moments of their lives, how scared they must have been. I try to go back to, you know, when I was 9, 10 years old and, and sitting in a classroom. Even if you survived it, your life will never be the same. Imagine if you're one of those kids that saw your classmates gunned down and decapitated because that's what an AR-15 will do. These kids are not even recognizable. That's why they had to do DNA samples from the parents. And all night, media members said they heard screams inside the Civic Center where all the families were gathering, desperately hoping that a miracle had happened and one of their kids might be in the hospital. Instead, sadly, 19 families got the news that they lost their children. And yet we live in a country where so many Republicans out there say more guns are the answer. Let's just secure our schools. More guns are the answer. What I say to that is we have more guns in this country than any other country in the world. We also happen to have more mass shootings. So obviously more guns are not the answer. That is ridiculous. And don't give me the nonsense that the good guys win, because it certainly wasn't the case in Buffalo. The good guy did not win. Hero, he didn't win, because he had a pistol, and the shooter had another assault weapon. And I am getting so sick of talking about these mass shootings. And these young kids, and you know, these shootings... Every single one of them are horribly tragic and emotional and it's terrible and there's pain and suffering and people are losing their lives. But the circumstances of this shooting that happened yesterday, uh, words cannot even describe. 19 kids. But I don't have a lot of hope. Because what happened at Sandy Hook when we lost all those poor innocent children, nothing happened then. It wasn't Barack Obama's fault wasn't Joe Biden's fault. wasn't the Democrats' fault. They tried to do everything they could in passing proper gun legislation, an assault weapons ban. It's the Republicans. And they talk about pro-life, and they preach pro-life when it comes to abortions. What about the 19 kids that died yesterday? What are you doing to protect them? What have you done to protect their lives? We talked about hypocrisy yesterday. There are some people in office who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and there are people in office that are an embarrassment and they have blood on their hands. The people in Buffalo have not even been buried yet. Many of the people have not even had funerals yet as that investigation is still ongoing. That was a week ago. Many of those people are not even buried yet. And now we're talking about, again, another school shooting. Where 19 people have died, 21 people have died, excuse me, 19 kids. One of those people that I do have a lot of respect for, Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy, where I'm from in Connecticut, he spoke on the House floor yesterday. And I want you to have a listen to what he had to say to some of his coworkers in office. What are we doing? What are we doing? Just days after a shooter walked into a grocery store 
to gun down African-American patrons, we have another Sandy Hook on our hands. What are we doing? There have been more mass shootings than days in the year. Our kids are living in fear every single time they set foot in a classroom because they think they're going to be next. What are we doing? Why do you spend all this time running for the United States Senate? Why do you go through all the hassle of getting this job, of putting yourself in a position of authority? If your answer is that as this slaughter increases, as our kids run for their lives, we do nothing. What are we doing? Why are you here? If not to solve a problem as existential as this. Chris Murphy, the senator is 100% right. My answer, many of the Republicans that are in office, why are they there? To remain in power. To make a nice salary and take care of their own families, but not take care of these innocent people that are losing their lives every day at the hands of gun violence. A parent should never have to drop off their kid at school worrying that their kid might not make it home that day. And that's what happened in Texas yesterday. And then Chris Murphy goes on. Here's a little bit more about what he had to say. Nowhere else do little kids go to school thinking that they might be shot that day. Nowhere else do parents have to talk to their kids, as I have had to do, about why they got locked into a bathroom and told to be quiet for five minutes just in case a bad man entered that building. Nowhere else does that happen except here in the United States of America, and it is a choice. It is our choice to let it continue. And I had a conversation with a few idiots yesterday online, and some of whom said, well, evil's going to do evil. If they can't get a certain gun, they'll get a knife, which is obviously a very, very ignorant statement. You never want anyone to try to attempt to kill anyone, let alone school children. But if it had to happen, would you rather somebody have an AR-15 or a knife? Obviously, somebody going into a school with a knife, people are going to get hurt. Possibly people are going to get killed. 19 kids wouldn't have been killed. These weapons should not be on the streets. They should not be sold to the general public, lawful citizen or not. They have been made for one reason, to kill as many people as possible, not to hunt, not to defend yourself or defend your home. There's plenty of weapons you could buy to do that. These weapons, these assault weapons should not be sold. And it is why I respect the Democrats out there, including Joe Biden, who have pushed for this assault weapons ban, but the Republicans stop it every single time, but they want to preach abortion. Pro-life. They're the opposite of pro-life. They are scum of the earth, people like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. They're scum of the earth. Absolute scumbags until it happens to them. And you know, a friend of mine, a musician friend of mine, I'm talking to him yesterday on the phone, and he says to me, You know, I don't think there's really going to be change unless one of these Republican senators, God forbid, but if one of these Republican senators, one of their kids die in a school, then something might happen. That's the only way anything will change. And I said to him, I thought about that for a moment. I said to myself, you know what? Sadly, I think I agree with you. You're probably right. Until it happens to you. I mean, I'll give an example of our former vice president, Dick Cheney. 
and it's not gun control, but he was anti-gay marriage. He was basically anti-gay, just like Mike Pence, until Dick Cheney found out that one of his daughters was gay, and then all of a sudden, he changed his mind. The hypocrite changed his mind, and now all of a sudden, he's pro-gay marriage, and he's pro-gay, and all this other stuff, because he found out his daughter was gay. Well, what if one of these Republican senators find out that one of their kids doesn't come home, and they get shot in his school by an AR-15, by a madman? Are they still going to say, well, you know what? Crazy people do crazy things. Let's just put our arms in the air and say, well, there's really nothing we can do about it. You people are so despicable. You Republicans, and not all of you, but many Republicans out there, the reason why proper gun legislation and these guns are on the streets, it's because of you. The Ted Cruz's of the world, the Jim Jordans of the world. You know, I mean, it's it's despicable to me. But I'll tell you one thing. Um, I have my criticisms for Joe Biden. I do. I have my criticisms for his administration, and I've had my criticisms for Joe Biden, but there's one thing he does great in times of tragedy is he has empathy for people, and he's a strong man when it comes to these issues, like gun control. And I was proud that I voted for him yesterday. I have my criticisms for him, but I was proud because I thought he made a very heartfelt speech, and he was angry. But that anger was real. It wasn't fake like Governor Abbott today or, the, or Ted Cruz. This, that, that is fake anger when they say thoughts and prayers after one of these tragedies. That's fake. There was nothing fake about what Joe Biden said yesterday. Nothing. Here's a little bit of what Joe Biden had to say in his uh, address to the nation yesterday. I am sick and tired of it. We have to act. And don't tell me we can't have an impact on this carnage. I spent my career as a senator and a vice president working to pass common sense gun laws. We can and will prevent every tragedy, but we know they work and have positive impact. When we passed the assault weapons ban, mass shootings went down. When the law expired, mass shootings tripled. The idea that an 18-year-old kid can walk into a gun store and buy two assault weapons. It's just wrong. What in God's name do you need an assault weapon for except to kill someone? Deer aren't running through the forest with Kevlar vests on, for God's sake. It's just sick. And what are some of these idiots on the right? Newsmax, OAN, Fox News. What are some of these morons on the right saying? Oh, well, Joe Biden's making it too political. It's too soon. No, it's not too soon. This is the exact time to talk about these issues. It's not too soon. That's what Governor Abholz in Texas said after the Texas El Paso shooting when he was asked about gun violence and and weapons of war. He said it's too soon. Now's not the time. Did he do anything about it? No, nothing. Nothing. These Republicans have done nothing when it comes to this issue. And don't let them tell you It's just mental illness because it's not. That's certainly a part of this. There's no question that this 18-year-old was mentally deranged. But this is a number of issues, one of them also gun control. No person in the general public should be allowed, unless you're a police officer, law enforcement, some sort of security, or maybe you're a brave man and woman in uniform. These types of assault weapons should not be sold to the public. You don't need one of these assault weapons to go hunting. You don't need one of these assault weapons to go shooting on a range. You don't need one of these assault weapons to defend your family. You just don't because there's plenty of weapons out there you can buy 
that are not designed to kill as many people as possible in a short period of time. It's ridiculous. Joe Biden is 100% correct. Here, uh, here's Joe Biden. Uh, you know, again, his speech was about eight minutes ago, so here's a little bit more about what he had to say. These kinds of mass shootings rarely happen anywhere else in the world. Why? They have mental health problems. They have domestic disputes in other countries. They have people who are lost. But these kinds of mass shootings never happen with the kind of frequency they happen in America. Why? Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone to have the courage to deal with it and stand up to the lobbies? It's time to turn this pain into action for every parent, for every citizen in this country. We have to make it clear to every elected official in this country. It's time to act. Well, Mr. President, I'm with you 150%. You're right. But I'll answer your question. Why? Because of 50 senators, 50 sitting senators that refuse to do anything about it, that all they care about is remaining in power. It'll hurt their base if they uh, vote on, you know, an assault weapons ban. It'll hurt their base. They might, they might lose. They, they might lose their next election, you know. That's why. They want to stay in power. And in return, because of that, because they want to remain in power, we have 19 families that now have to make funeral arrangements for their young kids who were gunned down in school, innocent children, innocent kids who were just in school learning, going to school every day in an elementary school. And what about all the kids that that were not their lives were not taken. Thank God. What about what they're going to have to go through for the rest of their lives? They were in a classroom, in a school, and their friends and their classmates, 19 of them, killed, including two teachers. Their lives will never be the same. All these families that lost loved ones, their lives will never be the same. And as I mentioned, many of those victims, innocent people that died in a supermarket, the main, I, I know a few people who were white were killed as well, but for the main reason why those people were died, because of the color of their skin, many of those people haven't even been buried yet in Buffalo. This is not going to end. This is going to continue. I wish I was wrong. I'm not. Because many of these shootings are very predictable. And at least if members of Congress and the senators that are in office did something, You could say, all right, at least we're taking some steps. At least these kids have not died in vain. What about the Connecticut shooting? Do those kids die in vain? I thought, finally, after Sandy Hook, finally, we're going to get something done. I was wrong. And I believe I'm not going to be wrong this time because I don't think anything's going to get done. Democrats will do their best, but I don't think anything's going to get done. And my heart goes out to these families. But thoughts and prayers are not enough. But the cowards in office will say thoughts and prayers. The Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world. The Lauren Boberts of the world. McCarthy's. Mitch McConnell, who might be the most despicable human being of them all. Who refuses to do anything to pass any type of gun legislation even though 90% of Americans agree this is awful and something needs to be done. 90% agree that something needs to be done. 
I even saw a poll uh, that I saw yesterday on television that said 7 out of 10 Republicans believe that we need stronger rules on the books when it comes to guns. Do you remember it was Donald Trump that passed the law a few years back that made it easier for the mentally ill to purchase weapons? If you don't believe me, look it up. He passed that bill, and Republicans loved it. They were cheering. They were so happy that Donald Trump passed this bill, that somebody that is mentally ill can, can make it easier for them to purchase a weapon. Republicans loved it. What type of country are we living in? Senator Murphy is right. What are we doing? There's no one law or one thing that'll end all the gun violence in this country or end mass shootings, but there's a number of things that could help prevent them. And I'll talk about that when we come back, and I want to hear from you. Am I wrong on this? Is Senator Murphy wrong? Is Joe Biden wrong? Do we just put our hands in the air and say, oh, well, evil people are going to do evil things? Or do we do something about it? Who's to blame for this? Besides the person who, who pulled the trigger, who else is to blame for this? I have my explanation on that, but I want to hear from you. I'll give out the number, the number to call. Your thoughts on this tragic shooting, another mass shooting in a school where 19 kids and two adults gunned down and killed in an elementary school in Texas. Take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn, that true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premium Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hi, I am Eva Chase a transgender woman, progressive, independent candidate for lieutenant governor for this year. I have ran a grassroots campaign. I have funded my entire campaign. I am not part of the political establishment. A college graduate, a veteran from the U.S. Air Force, have resided in Las Vegas since 2007 and have worked at MGM Resorts at the Shark Reef Aquarium since 2009. I strongly support the LGBTQ community, women's rights, expanding voting rights, and veteran affairs. 
As a veteran, I really want to help our veterans get a better shake in our state. They really get the wrong end of a stick and other progressive items. If you want positive change, fresh new ideas, you need to vote Eva Chase, Lieutenant Governor for Nevada this year. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and also YouTube. June 14th primary, make the right choice. Eva Chase, Lieutenant Governor for Nevada this year. Hey everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. So glad that you can join us. I wish it was under better circumstances. Talking about this horrific shooting in Texas where 19 kids, two adults were killed. We just had the shooting last week in Buffalo where many of the victims haven't even been laid to rest yet. This is a huge issue in this country and it needs to be addressed. And now we're learning at some failures by the local police department there in Texas. And it's uh, it's mind-boggling. I said I wanted to have somebody on the air right now that maybe could share with us his expertise on, on how this could have happened, the what, when, you know, what, where, why. And uh, the guy joining us on the line right now, he is the assistant chief of the Henderson Police Department. Very happy to have uh, Michael Blow joining us uh, on the air right now. Michael, I do appreciate you joining us. How are you? Uh, good afternoon, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here with you, sir. Thank you, Michael. I, like I said, I wish it was on better cir- under better circumstances. Uh, what is going on in this country? I mean, you know what happened here October 1, the sure. gun violence across the country, right? I mean, before we get to specifics, in your opinion, as, as a law enforcement official, what is going on in this country? Why do we have so much gun violence and so many of these mass shootings, in your opinion? Well, you know, it's uh, that's a question that law enforcement officials across the country have been asking. And I think it's uh, it's a variety of things you you have. Obviously, you have some socioeconomic issues that are challenging certain communities. Uh, you have a breakdown in some communities of the basic family structure. You have influence of, of social media. You you know, you just have a lot of different things that are impacting different communities in different ways that at the end of the day, uh, people don't seem to be able to be resolve conflict. Mm-hmm. And that certainly is a challenge that uh, we want people to be able to resolve conflict without resorting to violence. And that seems to be the norm these days across the country. So, Michael, I, I agree with everything you said there. I want to add this. I believe that your police officers should be allowed to use whatever they need to use to defend themselves and to protect, whether it be an AR-15, whatever the case may be. Do you believe that an 18-year-old should be allowed the idea that an 18 year old should be allowed to walk into a gun store buy a bunch of AR15s and 5 600 rounds of ammunition because I don't think an 18 year old should be allowed to do that well you, you know I, I that's a tough one for me to answer Brian from the sense of that you as you and I both know some 18 year olds are a lot more mature and mm-hmm. when I was 18 year old I, I guarantee you I wasn't as mature as you were at <laughs> you'd be surprised <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it, that certainly has to go on a case-by-case basis but normally I would think that 
uh, you want to make sure that anyone that has that type of firepower available to them, you want to make sure that that individual has not only the capacity to operate that that particular weapon, but they also have the mental capacity to mm -hmm. to understand the destructive power that a weapon has. Um, even when you're using it appropriately. Right. And what I, what I mean by that, Brian, for some of your listeners that don't know, that type of firearm, let's just say that person uh, came into your house, you had absolutely every reason to defend yourself. Well, a weapon of that caliber, not only is it, will it probably go through the person that is assaulting you and your family, but that, that projectile is probably going to go through most homes that are only made of drywall and stucco and that kind of stuff. And it's probably going to travel three or four houses down the block. Right. So you don't know what type of destruction it's going to do on its way before it finally sure. comes to pass. I agree. And that's why I always say, in my personal opinion, these, these weapons uh, should not be sold to the public at all. I think police officers and, and brave men and women in uniform are soldiers. Uh, but l let's yes. talk a little bit about this Texas situation, sure. uh, Officer Blow, because, because, you know, your expertise, listen, I know you weren't there. These were not your officers. But we are now learning that mm -hmm. 911, a bunch of 911 calls were made from this classroom. There were 19 sure. officers outside this classroom. They knew exactly what was going on. Sure. And it took them upwards of an hour before they actually went into the classroom. They're now admitting, the police department today is finally admitting, yeah, we didn't do it right. We should have gone in there. Is that, is that a legitimate? Is that legitimate? I mean, should we accept that? Well, I, I tell you, Brian, that certainly should give everyone room for for concern. I, I think the the community in Avalde, and I hope I'm pronouncing that uh, appropriately, mm -hmm. uh, they should be concerned because here's here's the the challenge with that. Uh, every law enforcement agency across the country, and, and if I'm wrong, someone please correct me, has been trained in active shooter uh, responses, and the the basic premise and this is information that even when we speak to public groups we share with the public that if there is an active shooter situation the police were coming in we're coming in loud we're coming in strong and we're not going to stop for injuries we're going to go right to where we believe the threat is and we're right. going to deal with that exactly exactly as soon as, as, soon as we get there yeah. uh so i you know i certainly would love to see the the final report on why that uh, particular on-scene commander determined that he thought it was a barricade as opposed to uh, continuing the plight to uh, neutralize this individual and, and figure out what was going on. You are so uh, right. I'm glad you brought that up. I want to go further into what you just said. A commander did say, and you're correct, that he believed that the shooter had barricaded himself when all the evidence, based on all the 911 calls that were made before yeah. that decision, said otherwise. You had actual kids, 9- and 10-year-olds, moments before they lost their life, calling 911 dispatchers saying there's still 8 or 9 of us alive in here. And then yeah. more gunshots were heard. And even yes. 20 minutes after that, police had still yeah. not entered that classroom. Let me ask you this. If you're, you know, you've been doing this a long time. How long have you been a, an officer for? I've been in the business for 34 years. Okay, so a long time. You're the perfect yes, person for me to ask this. If yes, you sir. were there by yourself and you heard gunshots in a classroom and you knew that kids were being shot, wouldn't you go in there and do everything you possibly could to, to end that threat? Oh, you, you have to. You are obligated to uh, do, take that type of action, and the public would expect you to do that. Uh, I know initially, uh, years ago, when they went after the lessons learned with Columbine, and they started really um, teaching the 
uh, officer entries and so forth for active shooter. One of the things they used to stress was that you may get there and you're it. You may not have the opportunity to wait. Normally, uh, they would prefer if you could get another person with you and then you all can go in and do do what you need to do. But certainly circumstances may dictate you're, you're the only person that can save the day. So you have to get in there and, and do what you have to do. So um, it, to answer your question, yes, I would, um, you know, I would have to go in there and do what I have to do. And, um, you know, hopefully I would have someone else there with me that uh, would arrive shortly thereafter and we could go in and, and do what we had to do. But certainly if, if you know that people are being slaughtered and you can hear it and you can see it or whatever, you, you have to go in there and you have to do what you have to do. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, he is Michael Blow. He is the assistant chief of Henderson Police. Michael, it reminded me a little bit, and I hate to bring this up, but I, I, I have to. Uh, October 1, if you recall, there was a Metro police officer that froze for eight minutes. Now, listen, the overwhelming majority of officers that night were heroes. There's a lot of heroic stories. And, and I've said that I am pro-police. I'd be very clear on that. And the overwhelming majority of, uh, of police officers like yourself are heroes that protect and serve. But we had that officer for eight minutes that froze, and I think we all were saying to ourselves, what would have happened if he engaged the suspect? How many lives could have been saved? And I'm thinking the same thing. I mean, we had 19 police officers outside that classroom. 19. You were just saying you would have gone in there yourself. 19. And we have one commander who says, well, we we need more. We we need more backup. We need more whatever he was thinking. I mean, and then they, they do a press conference this morning and they say, we need to learn better for next time. Let one officer say that. And, and now you have these parents that have to bury their children. Yes. I mean, I mean I, I'm mean, i sorry, but I don't think that's sufficient. I, I don't think that commander should ever be a police officer again. Maybe I'm being a little harsh, but we have all these young kids that are dead, and this commander made a decision, and in my personal opinion, he has blood on his hands. Well, I, I tell you, after all the, the factual information has been uh, gathered and the appropriate officials in that town or have had the opportunity to review that information i'm certain that there's going to be a host of not only uh changes made but uh yeah but there's probably going to be some discipline issued and and i don't know what their their structure of discipline and and so forth is Mm -hmm. but I, i can imagine in that situation if those if the information is as it's reported in the media at this point uh, there's certainly going to be some disciplinary action. You may even have uh, some folks uh, resigning or or terminated. Mm-hmm. But again, that depends on what their disciplinary structure is and what all of the information yeah. um, reveals at, at that appropriate yeah. moment in time. But one thing I do have to say, uh, Brian, is that uh, I don't want people to think that, you know, that's bravado talking when I said what I said. Uh, those types of situations are extremely stressful. Uh, you know, your 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 blood is racing, even in the training environment uh, and officers across the country, including our agency, they train year after year after year, spend thousands of hours in, in various types of um, deadly force scenarios like this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the adrenaline is pumping and so forth and so on. Uh, it's a very stressful situation. Sure. Um, at times it may just have reached an a situation for that particular officer that he was just overloaded with stress. I don't know. And certainly I'm not making excuses for it, but there are psychological things that do happen to the body when it's under extreme stress. Unfortunately, 
that isn't the time for, that you would hope that it would occur. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is just a tragedy, no matter how you look at it. It's a um, it's it's a tragedy for those families of all of those uh, people that lost their lives. Uh, you know, you 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 think about that. You, I, I can't even imagine, Brian, being that parent or being the loved ones of those those teachers who also heroically gave their lives to protect those children. Mm-hmm getting that phone call or, or seeing a flash on my phone that there's something is happening, knowing yeah. my children are there or knowing my wife is there. I, I just can't imagine that. So yeah, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Those two teachers are heroes. And and, oh, then, and and then we learn of that one teacher, her husband had a heart attack the other day yes. and her family so saying that right. he died of a broken heart. It just, yes. it, it, yes. it's horrible. Yes. It's, it's heartbreaking. Have yes. you officer, have you ever seen anything like this before where there's videos that now have come out where you mm-hmm. see parents, that are you know losing it, which I don't blame them. Uh, begging the officers to to go into the school, please go in. There's some stories of of parents that wanted to go in there themselves that said, "Give me a vest, give me a gun, I'll go in there." Their kids are in there, and sure. then you have police officers that are pepper spraying uh, the, the the parents and handcuffing some parents. And I mean, I get it. You don't want parents to go in there and get involved because that would make the situation even worse. But I don't know how it could be much worse than waiting outside a classroom while a shooter is just shooting a bunch of innocent kids. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that before in your career? Uh, Brian, I can honestly say I have not. And, you know, I I can only think of the uh, one incident. I think it was an incident in Florida, I believe, a couple of years ago where they had a deputy that um, they had on tape on a video of one of the, the school cameras that didn't enter the building to, to abate the situation. This is about... I guess maybe three or four years ago, but I can't remember the exact location, but um, I've never experienced that. And, and certainly, as I said earlier, there's, this is going to absolutely um, be the subject of a top to bottom review. And uh, I'm certain the appropriate actions are going to be taken. And I hope there is never a next time for that community. Uh, you know, this is so that they never have to deploy those tactics again. But uh, certainly they based on what the media is reporting at this moment in time, it certainly warrants a very, very um, close Mm-hmm. Uh, review of everything that happened, starting from the very first phone call that was received uh, to the right through the moment where they declared that the scene was mm-hmm. safe to begin the process of investigating it. Everything needs to be yeah. uh, examined in this situation. I agree. Uh, a lot of people, particularly those that are on the right, I hate to make this political, but I have to here. They're saying, well, you know what? That door in the back of the school should have been locked, and I'm laughing at that. And the reason why I'm laughing at that is because you have a kid, 18-year-old, who just shot his grandmother. He's got a couple AR-15s, and they're saying that a locked door would have deterred him from just shooting the door down. I mean, I I don't know. I I just don't understand, officer. I I don't understand some of these politicians. I think, listen, it's not one thing that's going to end all gun violence in this country. I think we all could agree on that. But there's a lot of things that need to change, and I don't think that one door in entering exiting is going to make a difference i don't think a locked door in the back of the school is going to make a difference uh, i think there's a lot of things that we need to put on the books uh, to help prevent something like this from happening what do you make of some of the people with no law enforcement experience at all saying uh well it, blaming it on a door that was unlocked what do you make of that well again i think this is um this is another example of why it's so important that the community must be engaged with their police departments. Uh, you know, we we offer things like, and most agencies do offer, for example, a citizens police academy, where citizens are able to 
be experienced sort of an abbreviated version of some of the training that officers go through so that they can understand things like dynamic cover and concealment and and some of the other things that happen uh, during uh, stressful situations, because then I think people would maybe pause for a minute and understand that, well, in a situation that's that dynamic with that degree of weaponry, um, that probably is would not have stopped a, a person who was determined that they were going to do harm. Um, and again, that's why it's so important, Brian, that they have to get all of the information on this particular situation mm-hmm. so that they can, you know, that they can look at those things. They, you know, they can look at where there's some environmental things that we that could have prevented this, you know, some additional doors or windows or, or locks or whatever that situation is. And let's separate that where there's some tactical things that could have been done differently. Let's separate that where there's some additional things that the staff could have done to move those children to another location. Let's separate that. You know, so there's there's going to be a lot of different things that they're going to look at and hopefully they'll look at it collaboratively. You'll have school officials in the room. You'll have parents in the room. You'll have law enforcement in the room. You know, you'll have the uh, a, a very comprehensive group of stakeholders that are going to look at the factual information and and it's going to be and hopefully it will be a very candid yet productive discussion you know everybody leaves their political views at the door and all that kind of stuff we're just going to look at the facts of this thing and as a collaborative community effort we're going to dissect this and get the lessons learned Mm -hmm. and whatever actions need to be taken so be it Let's talk a little bit about gun legislation. I want you know what these guns do. You know what a pistol does, you know what a knife does, and you know what an assault weapon can do. So I have to ask you based on your experience, mm-hmm. uh, sadly you've had to respond to a lot of gun violence in your career, sure. I would imagine. Do sure. you believe law-abiding citizen or not? Do you believe that assault weapons should be allowed to be bought by law-abiding citizens, particularly those that are 18 years old. Because if you're 18, you can't walk into a bar and buy a beer. But right now, you can walk into a gun store and buy a bunch of AR-15s. So as a police officer, with your experience, if you had a chance to speak to any politician that could make change when it comes to proper gun legislation, would you make any change at all? And if so, what would that be? Well, you know, Brian, when when I speak about uh Gun, gun ownership and gun responsibility. Certainly, uh, I think you know there there are concerns about uh, a young person uh, at that particular age having access to that that much firepower. Um, however, you know I understand that you know you ha- you do have a, a large group. The the majority of gun owners in America are responsible people, and um, that that uh certainly you know this is what i prefer to buy and and um, my point with this is is that i always tell people if you're going to buy a weapon whether it's a glock or whether it's an ar-15 you better know how to use it you better know how to take care of it you better know the appropriate time to use it and you better understand that when you use it you have to understand all the repercussions that come with it the example i gave earlier brian about Mm -hmm. if if someone comes into your home to um to assault you and your family okay so number one if that if that suspect jumps on top of me is an ar-15 really going to be an effective weapon for close quarter combat probably not Mm -hmm. um you so you need to understand what what do you what are you doing with this you know what i mean um 
if if you're catching the person, the the person that broke it to your home at a at a decent distance, and you you shoot it, well, yeah, you you're probably gonna do some damage. But again, you have to keep in mind that projectile is not going to stop with the bad guy. It's going to keep going and going and going until either it runs out of velocity or some bigger and stronger object stops it. And that might be 10 houses down the street because that's a very powerful weapon. So I always say that if you if that is your weapon of choice, you better understand how to use it. Right. You better be clean with it. You better know how to clean it. You and you better understand the dynamics of which. Can you I have. ask you something? I agree with what you just said, Officer. I want I want to ask you about this. Why sure. is it then that when we have a car, we have to re-register the car? We have mm-hmm. to get the smog check. We have to have some sort of medical check on us to make sure. sure. Uh, but yet, when it comes to guns or even an AR-15, in most cases, you can buy a gun and you don't have to have any training at all. I agree with what you just said. If mm-hmm. we're going to allow these people to buy these assault weapons, which I don't think we should, but even if mm-hmm. we disagree on that, at a mm-hmm. minimum, don't you think somebody should have to take a few courses and learn how to use Absolutely. the weapon? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think – and you know what? I, I think – just being required to take a class just so that you're familiar with mm-hmm. whatever it is that you choose to purchase. It will save not only uh, it, it will make you proficient at it, uh, but also it may even save the thousands of people that are injured every year because of accidental discharges because they didn't handle it properly or right, right. you know I, I used to you know years ago in the military i had a beretta now i have a glock but oops i forgot that the glock doesn't have the external safeties that the beretta has you know what i mean mm-hmm. when i stuffed it down my pants and shot my knee off right you, you know what i mean sure so i agree with you brian i think that if you're going to buy that weapon so be it but you need to be trained at least how to keep it maintain it and understand the dynamics of what it is you have in your possession agree yeah we're in agreement and by the way i think the overwhelming majority of americans agree with what we're saying uh again if you're just joining us we are speaking with the assistant chief of the henderson police department michael blow who's joining us right now on the line over 35 years of experience in law enforcement so how do we make that change i mean i don't know i guess democrats and republicans need to come together i just don't understand if we're going to allow an 18 year old to buy several assault weapons and there is no training on how to use it, I suppose he probably still would have committed the crime. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know where we're at. And now we're learning, officer, that four years earlier when this individual was 14 years old, he threatened to shoot up a school. He said, I would shoot up the school when I'm going to shoot the school up when I turn 18. He was arrested for that at the age of 14. And four years later, he's legally allowed to go into a gun store and buy an AR-15, two of them. What type of country are we living in? I mean, if that's not a warning sign, I don't know what is. Right, officer? Agreed. And certainly um, he 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 had indicators that I'm not responsible enough to have a firearm. I mean, if you're threatening to shoot up schools and, and churches or whatever the case may be, uh, those individuals uh, should not be able to um, have access to a firearm because mm-hmm. – uh, Obviously, he is the he is the poster child for the worst case scenario. Sure, sure. But uh, but, but again, you know, th- those are just some of those common sense things. I think that we should be able to sit down and collaboratively talk about because um, you know I know that this is a country that is is built on a lot of things and 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 gun ownership and all those things are 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 part of our culture. Sure. But I but I also think that. As part of that uh, culture, we need to make sure that we are we are safe 
And that also we are making sure that individuals who don't possess the the mental capacity to make good decisions with that type of of powerful weaponry mm-hmm. that they they should not be able to have their privilege that uh, all the other thousands of millions of of mm-hmm. law abiding citizens and law abiding gun owners have sure. and enjoy. So. Two years. I want to be clear and I want to say this. First of all, I believe uh, your officers, the Henderson Police Department, I think for the most part, very professional. They're heroes. They do a great job. I would say that about Metro Police and I would say that throughout the country, quite frankly. And I've said this all along here in Las Vegas and in the uh, surrounding areas, Henderson, Summerlin. When you think of the 24-7 lifestyle that we have and, and the alcohol and the convenience of this city, I think the crime rate, while it always could be better, Man, it could be a lot worse. The overwhelming majority of police officers are heroes. I am pro-police. I am also pro-Black Lives Matter. With that being said, two (laughs) years ago, I believe today, if I'm not mistaken, it was two years ago uh, Mm -hmm. where George Floyd was was murdered and Derek Chauvin Chauvin, uh, went went to jail. And I did hear a lot of police officers speak out about that and and how horrible it was. Am I wrong in saying that when we do have some bad apples out there, and in any profession there's going to be some bad apples out there, sure. I want to hear more police officers speak out. And when we hear, and the more details come out about Texas in this school shooting, I want to hear more officers uh, be critical where I think criticism uh, should be. And at the same time, there are a lot of heroes out there. I try to go up to police officers on the streets, and I shake their hand, and I tell them, thank you for what you do. I see them at a restaurant. Sure. I see how much they appreciate that. We need sure. a better relationship. So I want to give you the opportunity, uh, Mr. Blow. Sure. I want to give you the opportunity. Speak to the listeners right now. Maybe some of them out there don't have a lot of trust in law enforcement. I mm-hmm. want you to speak to them right now. What would you say to them? Well, I'd have to echo what you said, Brian. There, there, there are millions of officers that are on duty right now throughout the United States that are doing one hell of a job. Um, and, and as we know, it's it's a profession that you're not you're probably not going to own those four Lamborghinis and have the big house in Hollywood Hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you work weekends, you work holidays, you miss your daughter's birthday, you might miss her first ballet concert, you know, all those things. So there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into it. And you, we have also uh, officers from all over the spectrum who are, who are second, third generation police officers throughout the country. And so, you know, I, I think we can all agree on that. However, we do need to be a profession that is not afraid to to be critical of ourselves, because if, in order to improve and in order to get better, you have to be able to have those candid yet productive conversations that say, you know what, in this particular instance, we were not on our A game. We didn't bring our A game to this. Um, the George Floyd incident is is the is the poster child for that um that that should have never happened and most officers throughout the country totally agree with that and but even when it's a situation that's not as obvious we need to be able to have the opportunity and i think agencies around the country are are at that point where we can look at ourselves and and say you know we're doing this very well but when we look at ourselves in this situation, here's an area that we're, we're constantly improving. Sure. We're trying to improve upon, which is why agencies all over the country, including here in the in the southern Nevada Valley, that's why we train and we retrain and we have in-service training and we have roll call training and, and all these other types of things. Because we recognize that if we don't honestly assess our our 
the things that we do well and our shortcomings that we are not able to provide that service that our citizens deserve. So I would tell your your listeners that we are always seeking to improve ourselves. Uh, we we also welcome their their feedback and we want them to um, to give us that feedback. Sometimes if it stings a little bit, you know, that's that's how you grow. But uh, also, I would encourage your listeners to take me up on wherever they live, whether it's in in Las Vegas metro area, Henderson, North Las Vegas, Mesquite. You know, get involved with your local police department. You know, do a ride along. Join the Citizen Police Academy. You know, volunteer at some of the activities they're doing, you know, because you need to see the things that the officers do day in and day out. You probably see a lot of great things that they do. You may see some things that you may want to say, well, why do you all do that? Mm -hmm. And based on that discussion, you may have a better understanding, or you may say, you know what? I think I'm going to have, I'm going to take this to the next level. Maybe I'm going to talk to the district commander because I still don't quite understand why this is happening. But at least the good thing that's happening here is that we're talking. Yes. And that we're engaged. Yes. And that's what, is is crucial but uh i i think if your your listeners get any one thing out of what i just said to understand we are always evolving we're always retraining and we're always looking to get better and do what we do better absolutely and nobody is perfect and i think the key word here is transparency as long as there is transparency between law enforcement and the media and with just regular everyday citizens then then there will be improvements but i will say this in closing i appreciate what you do officer blow i appreciate what your henderson police department does you have a lot of great officers within your department and i really do uh, appreciate you coming on this show on short notice talking about some very difficult subjects but uh, please keep up the good work and i appreciate i appreciate you coming on officer thank you so much thank you and thank you for having me and it was a real pleasure thank you michael appreciate you uh that is michael blow uh the assistant chief of the henderson police department talking about you know gun control and what took place in texas and uh you know interesting that entire interview the thing that really stands out to me michael said it himself if he was the only officer there outside that school he would have gone in there and he would have tried to engage the suspect because that's michael blow and that's what a good officer would have done those cowards in texas uh, it's just it, it, it's it's heartbreaking man it, it, it's heartbreaking and it should never have happened all right we're going to take a break and when we come back one of my favorite guests who joins us in studio of course uh channel three sports you know him as jesse merrick uh i, I don't know i'm gonna ask him i might be asking him about his dating life coming up next we'll, we'll see what happens but uh we'll take a quick break we'll be back right after this you're listening to pushing the limits right here on kshp for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years and prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 
888-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hi, I am Eva Chase, a transgender woman, progressive, independent candidate for lieutenant governor for this year. I have ran a grassroots campaign. I have funded my entire campaign. I am not part of the political establishment. A college graduate, a veteran from the U.S. Air Force, have resided in Las Vegas since 2007 and have worked at MGM Resorts at the Shark Reef Aquarium since 2009. I strongly support the LGBTQ community, women's rights, expanding voting rights, and veteran affairs. As a veteran, I really want to help our veterans get a better shake in our state. They really get the wrong end of the stick and other progressive items. If you want positive change, fresh new ideas, you need to vote Eva Chase, Lieutenant Governor for Nevada this year. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and also YouTube. June 14th primary, make the right choice. Eva Chase, Lieutenant Governor for Nevada this year. Hey everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Rolling on in hour number two, this is Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro on KSHP. Now, here's Brian Shapiro. Joining me in studio right now, of course the name is not only familiar because he's been on this show, been on my other show uh, at, at that other station down the road, and uh, you recognize his name not only for that, but of course he's the former DA of Clark County and their top DUI prosecutor. Thomas Moskal joining us in studio. Thomas, I appreciate you being here. How are you? I'm good, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Appreciate that. Um, I wish it was under better circumstances. I really do, because uh, I'll be honest with you. I've been doing radio for 20 years, and the first hour of this show that I did yesterday was one of the most difficult hours. I mean, I was just breaking down. It was really hard to talk about this uh, school shooting in Texas. I watched um, it. I watched it. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. Uh, it was just really hard to talk about it. And very similar to the days after the October 1 shooting, you know, when I had to talk about that. And, of course, Sandy Hook, I was a reporter at the time. But the circumstances of this, you know, and these poor innocent children who lost their lives, it, it's horrific. So there's a lot I want to talk to you about when it comes to this. But I want to start with this. Before we hear some audio from some of the parents, which is, which is very difficult to listen to, I want to lead off and talk to you about law enforcement. We'll get to the gun control issues. But we are now learning information about the timeline and how long it took police officers to get into this school. And rough estimates from what we heard from reports is it took an upwards of an hour 
from the first, not even from the time the first 911 call was made. We are talking the time that the first officer showed up. It took officers, SWAT or not, it took officers an hour, estimated around an hour, to get into that school. And I say, number one, how is that possible? Because I know law enforcement are trained in a shooting like this when you have a, a shooting that is a, are you know. Are they, though? Are they trained for it? Well, I mean, that's really the question, right? Well, like you tell me. Am I wrong? supposed to be getting training. Uh, there's a huge movement to defund police, to take funds away from police. Uh, and all of that costs money and it costs time. And so are these officers that showed up, are they really trained to handle a situation like this? I mean, I can tell you what they're told. These are not ex-Navy SEALs who have seen Mm -hmm. battle over and over and been taking fire. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is something that tells the communities that maybe resources need to be developed to really train officers on high-stress situations like this. Maybe. I know what they're told, and this is from what I hear from law enforcement, and you know this too. They're told... That in a, in a in a shooting type situation where uh, there's a there's a there's a shooter out there in a live situation, you are supposed to immediately do what you can to engage the suspect. They could have easily done that. Now I know we can Monday morning quarterback, but I got to tell you something. When I hear that police officers were waiting an hour outside of an elementary school, when you hear shots being fired, and you know what's happening in there, you know what's happening. Innocent kids and teachers are being murdered. And you're waiting outside of school? To me, that is the definition of a coward. And I know most police officers are heroes. And I, will, I would never make a generalized statement. But in my personal opinion, already based on the evidence that we have in the press conference that Jay just held, confirming that it took them an hour. Yeah, confirming it. it. Okay, They confirmed it. So I'm not just guessing here. It took them an hour to get in there. I don't understand. I don't understand why they waited that long. Now... If I, I know there were a lot of mistakes here October 1, and I know there was one officer that froze for eight minutes, and I called him a coward. Imagine if they froze for an hour. Imagine if it took them an hour to get into that hotel room at Mandalay Bay. How, how many people would have died? A thousand? These kids died, and I don't know how many lives would have been saved, but I would imagine many of these kids would still be alive today if the first officers that showed up on the scene, engaged the suspect, went into the school. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Could some of those officers have lost their life? Absolutely. It's the job that they signed up for. They, they signed up to do this job. Nobody forced them to become a police officer. And I have the utmost respect. They risk their life every day. No, nobody can take that away from them. But don't sign up to be a police officer if there's a, a shooting, a live situation where there's a shooter in a school, no less, let alone you know a mall or a casino. Yeah, what would have happened if there was an open shooter at, at the Bellagio? You think officers would have waited an hour to go in there? Of course not. Of course not. What would have happened if, you know, there was somebody in a bank? Have you ever heard of waiting an hour? I mean, I guess there's some situations where there's hostage situations. These are little kids we're talking about getting shot. And they knew there was one shooter in there. They knew because they knew he had gone into this car accident. And that's another thing. He shoots his grandmother in the face. Then he crashes her car. And now there's 12 minutes that are just 
police don't know what happened in those 12 minutes from the time he crashed his car from the time he walked into the school there's it, it reminds me of October 1 all over again all these well I guess I watched in the press conference supposedly when he crashed his car there was a funeral home across the street a couple of people saw him crash and he actually unloaded rounds on those witnesses from outside the school as he was making his way in I didn't know that wow. uh, that's what that's what the uh, sheriff said in the press conference I yeah. caught that mm-hmm. so he was already shooting at people outside the school as he made his way into the school I mean look you, you throw around the word coward you throw around the word hero there's only one thing that separates the two and it's what you do when you're faced in a situation that puts you in absolute fear right and i just got goosebumps even thinking about it because you don't know what you're actually made of until you're into that situation and unfortunately local police officers we have you know in vegas is a little different we have a lot higher train but we're a big city but local police officers don't get put into those situations to even know what they're about you know, so this is something where they were they'd never seen anything like this. And was there some cowardly moments? Could they have gone in? Maybe. But I would also I would also say this too. You mentioned a hostage situation. We don't know what was going in on the ground. Let's say if officers did just bum rush in, bull rush into the room, and those kids, some of those kids were actually still alive, and then there was a crossfire and more casualties happened. And so I know with local law enforcement, with Metro, whenever they're going to open up fire on a suspect, they're always gauging things such as, what's your backdrop? If you're missing shots. I mean, think about that in the school. These bullets don't stop at a wall. This guy's got an AR-15. Until you get all those kids out of the adjoining rooms that are still alive, and maybe there's some still alive in a hostage situation in that room, maybe the best course of action is not getting into a firefight when you've got hundreds of little kids who are still able to get out of that school. And that's understandable, and that's a fair point. But the thing that, where I have a problem is shots were already being fired and sprayed in that school when they were waiting outside. If there were no shots being fired, completely agree with you 150 percent but when i already hear that you know there's already a gunfight in there with one person with a gun and kids are getting killed and they had to have known that i don't think there's any time to wait at that point there's no time for negotiation i get what you're my saying. gut reaction is the same as yours yeah an hour sounds ridiculous five sounds ten minutes ridiculous. you know every second counts we've learned what did we learn from columbine if there's one thing that i would like to think that officers learned from columbine is that every Ooh, second taking us way back on Columbine? Yeah, it's, it, listen, I was in well, college. You know, I was but... thinking about Columbine when this happened and how it was just such an outrageous event, right? We'd never yeah. seen anything like it. The whole country's in mourning, and I think the pandemic kind of took us away from how regularly these circumstances right. pop up. Right now, I mean, we're back to normal. This is actually a norm for us now in this country, right? The shootings, the mass shootings, sadly. But I think that what. At least what, what, I, what I hear from law enforcement is Columbine, we learned every second counts. you got to immediately engage the subject, su- suspect. They didn't do that, Columbine. We know in Parkland there were a few officers. There are one officer by the name of Scott Peterson, not the murderer, but Scott Peterson was a security guard, armed officer at the time, and he refused to enter the building. And I believe he was prosecuted for that. I mean, there has to be a standard with police officers. When you sign up to be a cop, you have to engage a suspect, and I understand every situation is different, and you make valid points on that, and I understand that. Sometimes there's hostage situations. For example, if you're in a bank and a bank robbery uh, suspect uh, is holding a few people hostage, you don't want to go in there and go into a gunfight. But we are also in a situation where we haven't heard gunshots fired, and you're trying to you know, talk the suspect, letting, letting people go. That wasn't the case in this situation. They already heard gunshots fired. They already heard uh, numerous shots fired, and they still waited. That's the part that I don't understand. When you have a, 
a suspect in a, in a, in a, in a shooting type situation in a live situation and you hear shots being fired police officers are trained to engage the suspect at any cost yeah is there a possibility that more people could be killed in that moment i suppose but in this situation i would think that lives would have been saved you would think that lives would have been saved we got 19 kids now that are dead we got two adults that are dead this animal this individual this 18 year old Wanted to kill as many people as possible. You have to engage the suspect. And, and, and listen, I am not in law enforcement. I'm not a professional. But I think any logical person would tell you that if they engage the suspect as soon as that first officer arrived, which it took an hour for them to get in there, lives would have been saved. And that's why I use the term coward. And by the way, I do not use that term lightly. The overwhelming majority of police officers, firefighters, FBI agents, whoever, are heroes because they risk their life every day. And sadly, some of them die. The, the, the guy in, in the Buffalo supermarket, how many lives did he save that day? He lost his life. He was a, a former cop turned security guard with a pistol. Can't, you're not going to win a gunfight with a pistol when the, the, this bastard had an AR-15. However, he engaged the suspect. Too many people died. Horrible. But this man saved other lives because it, it, it was a distraction for, for the shooter. Uh, instead of shooting all these innocent black people, and sadly he, he did. He shot a lot of innocent people. But this man engaged the suspect. He was a hero. He lost his life, and it's terrible. But, um, you know, it's, uh, this, this, is, this is really strange. I want to play you some audio now, um, Thomas. Sure. This is from the press conference that you watched this morning. And I did as well. This is uh, one of the deputies there locally holding a press conference. And I just talked to you about the, the time differences and, and time that is lost, the inconsistencies with local law enforcement. They're going to be hammered today because of this press conference. I want to play you an in- interaction with a CNN reporter. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's the sheriff who's, who's doing this press conference uh, outside the school there. Have a listen to this exchange, and then I want to get your thoughts on it. So I have taken all your questions into consideration. We will be doing updates. We will be doing updates to answer those questions. I think there's a lot of What is your name? Shimon Shimon. I hear you. Because we've been given a lot of bad information, so why don't you clear all of this up now and explain to us how it is that your officers were in there for an hour, yes, rescuing people, but yet no one was able to get inside that room. Shimon, we will we will circle back with you. We want to answer all your questions. We want to give you the why. That, that's, that's our job. So give us time. I'm taking all your questions. I'm taking them back to talk to the team. And look, thank you for being here. Have a, we'll talk soon. All right, well, my thoughts on that as a former reporter, I was a news reporter for 10 years, do not hold a press conference if you cannot answer those very, very basic questions. You have to have that timeline in place. And it leads me to believe, Thomas, that they effed up. They effed up. Uh, There were screw-ups October 1. Joe Lombardo was not transparent. He didn't give a lot of information out. Well, they're going to be in CYA mode. I mean, I wish we could sit here and say, let's wait for all the facts to come out so we can know the actual truth. Uh, But look, this is the attorney and me coming out. That's all right. Civil, That's why you're there, here. There's liability <laughs> mm-hmm. on the on 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 the police force there on on the county, the municipality, whoever it is, and they're not going to come out until they do a full investigation and see what is the best way to put us in the best light as far as avoiding some liability from civil attorneys here. And so when he gets asked that question, it's I mean 
I actually saw the press conference, the body language and his tone. You can tell he doesn't want to answer that. Right? Then don't hold the press conference. He doesn't know the right way to answer it. I don't think he has a choice at this point with uh, what's going on. When I, I hear he come out and say something, that right? this animal was barricaded, at least that's what police are saying. Yet for an hour, he threw a couple chairs and a, and a yeah. school desk table in front of right. a door. That's not exactly I mean, exactly. The, he wasn't barricaded. They could have got to him earlier. And then I hear they're well, okay. They're trying to rescue some of these kids. Sadly, many of them are already far gone. And while all this is going on, it takes them an hour to get to the shooter. Something doesn't make sense here. Something doesn't make sense. And then we heard, at least uh, again, is this bad information that there was at least one armed school security guard. Now we're learning that's not true. Again, you use the term liability. Where did the information come out that there was an armed guard there? Now all of a sudden they're saying there wasn't an armed guard yet. So so a lot of inconsistencies in this. And then you have that idiot Ted Cruz, he's uh, Cancun Cruz, who holds a press conference today and he's blaming a, a back door that was locked. Like that would deter somebody well, with an AR-15. No idea what happened that day is Ted Cruz. Yeah, I mean he's a million. He's got a million miles away. He's just pushing a narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wants to say something. And look, that's what these politicians want to do. They turn into a political issue right now. I mean, he's blaming a back door not being locked. Let me ask you a question, Thomas. You're a smart guy. Am I crazy here? When somebody that just shot their grandmother is now entering a school trying to kill as many people as possible, do you think a locked door, somebody with an AR-15, a locked door, would say, ooh, the door's locked. I better go somewhere else. Maybe not. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Uh, But you know what? It'd be nice if the door was locked. Mm -hmm. It would be nice. It would be a little, like you said, every second matters. Mm -hmm. You know, these little things, maybe maybe schools will take a little bit more serious. When I went to high school, when those bells rang, someone had to open the door from the inside for you to Mm -hmm. get into that building. The problem that I have, well, I have a lot of problems when it comes to this situation. The problem that I have is I hear a narrative not on the left, because it's the same thing that people on the left have been saying for decades since Columbine, is that we got to get rid of these weapons of war. Uh, everybody should be allowed to defend themselves with a gun, but you don't need it. An 18-year-old certainly doesn't need an AR-15 mm. to defend mm. themselves. A week after he turned 18, yeah. and he's out here buying these firearms. Thank you. Yes, that's my point, Tom. So that's the left. And by the way, I agree with them, not because I'm a lefty. Uh, I think that we, we live in a country where, and you're a former DA here in Clark County, 18 years old, you can't walk into a gas station and buy a six-pack of beer, but you can buy an AR-15. I have a serious problem with that. Now, it's not one issue, Thomas, in my opinion. You tell me if you disagree. It's not just one issue here. Yes, guns are, to me, top priority. we got to do something about this, the gun problem in this country. Yes, it's also mental illness, but when we talk about mental illness, people are mentally ill all over the world, but they don't have the mass shootings that we have here. So when people bring up mental illness, this is, this is a problem, uh, in my personal opinion, of too much easy access to weapons of war and these types of guns. I mean, I, I think that's the main issue here, not necessarily mental illness. Do we not do enough to help people that are mentally ill, whether it be the homeless? Absolutely. I'm all for doing more to help mentally ill uh, people. But these last two shooters, both 18 years old, uh, were easily able to get their hands on AR-15s. Well, you have gun access, but you have the mental health issue too, right? And it's a combination approach. I mean, look, I look back to my days when I was in elementary school. I still remember the kid. I'm not going to put his name on the radio, but everyone in the school knew. Was his name Biff? He (laughs) was wearing the trench coat. 
he was reading the uh, oh, what, the, al- the almanac, the al- whatever, yeah. whatever all those guys are reading. So at he the was time. A, a weirdo, yeah. And like, look, this guy might actually come in and do something crazy. Might kill mm-hmm. some people. And mm-hmm. he had that mentality. I was always nice to him because I said yeah. I want him to look at me and go, "Hey, get out of here." Uh, if he does something, but mm-hmm. all the kids knew, and I'm looking at some of the interviews from the kids they interviewed that knew the shooter here. All those kids knew something was wrong with this guy, right? He's scarring up his face, cutting his face, and so there's there's no screening system here in the schools to address mental health early. Mm-hmm. We all know who these potential kids are. The kids know. There's warning signs, and, yeah, and so there's nothing done. So it's access, but also access for people who we all know. You make this a person good point. Is a threat. We've learned that this 18-year-old who committed this crime in Texas was telling some of his friends that he wanted to throw dead cats at people's houses. Now, I know it's very difficult for a 17-year-old or 18-year-old to correlate that to, oh, my God, this person might do something very bad. But we also need to be more vigilant as human beings. I don't care whether you're 16 or 15 years old or our age or 30 or 40 or 50. When you hear something like that, you have to report something like that. I'm not blaming any of this person's friends for what happened, but there's a lot of things that could have been done here to prevent something like this from happening. Number one to me is guns, and I hear a lot of people talking about school security. Okay, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but here's my issue as a whole with people that make statements like that. More guns are not the answer. I hear people, oh, we we need someone with a gun, a good guy to get the bad guy. Let me ask you this. What's the quick answer? I mean, we're looking probably a week, two weeks from the next mass shooting. Probably. I mean, we can say, oh, pass this legislation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the legislation is going to take a while. Even if they passed it today, how long is it going to take to implement some of those things to actually make a difference? It, it, it would take so a what's while. what's the quick answer? Well, it w- there is no quick answer. It, it, it would take a while, but it would be better than nothing because the, it was passed in the House. These but if is, I'm a parent, yeah. and I am, I have a three-year-old son now, yeah. and I'm putting him into a school, mm-hmm. I don't want to know, hey, it's going to take a while. Let's yeah. pass some legislation. Not let the states take it and the counties. Now let's try and get the guns I off the I have no problem. Then, ha- then, then the quickest answer I would give you is have, at a minimum, two armed security guards at every school in this country. That's going to cost a lot of money. Where does that money come from? Everyone's talking about the $40 billion being sent to Ukraine and, oh, my God, Joe Biden. Okay, well, you, you want to use that some of that money? and have two armed security guards listen having teachers carrying guns to me is absurd we talk you know they talk about critical race theory and we don't want teachers doing this and that but you're going to arm every single teacher that is absurd that can't happen i am not for that what i am for and by the way most schools already have this people don't know this most schools already have armed security guards but if you want to make it mandatory that it doesn't matter whether it's a bunch of kindergartners or uh or a high school or middle school that's fine Let's talk about the armed security solution because Look, you're looking at trained police officers that were too scared to go in. I mean, who are, who are the people who are signing up to be armed security guards? Maybe sometimes like Buffalo, you have mm-hmm. a guy who is a decorated guy who's been trained, mm-hmm. who happens to be in that store and is ready to go. But for the most part, let's look at the security guards when you go to a concert or anywhere. These are people making minimum wage who You're just right. happen to not have a criminal history so they can be hired by a security company. And it's Barney Fife on the scene. You are 100% correct. You know, there's a local casino here that I, I go to from time to time with some friends of mine because I, I live right down the street, Arizona Charlie's. They've had several <laughs> – yeah, it's, I know. it's a, several, <laughs> several security guards they've had uh, that have lost their life. A few have lost their life. Uh, and you're right. And that is not a knock on Arizona Charlie's. Uh, it's just what you're talking in general. A lot of these casinos, these armed security guards are not making a lot of money. They're not. Some of them are making close to minimum wage, $10 an hour, $11 an hour. And I'm thinking to myself, are these the type of people, all due respect to them, but are they the type of people, some of them making $11, $12 an hour, that are going to get in the way of a bullet and risk their life for me? 
Probably not. So when people want to talk, oh, we need better security, where's that money going to come from? Where's the training going to come from? They have to be federal troops, Mm -hmm. National Guard. I mean, guys who come in and that's their duty station. You know, and it's a deterrent. I'm telling you, if you're if you're a shooter, they go for the soft targets, right? That's what they're talking about a lot in the media. They go for the soft targets. If you know there's an armed guard there sitting there that's trained, you're yep. probably not going to pick that school. Probably. Isn't it sad though that this is the these are the times that we're living in now where you're saying we have to have troops uh, at every school. It's almost like Israel now. I tell you, I went to countries. Singapore back in 2005. They had we, you hit the airport, you're hitting the streets. They got guys with automatic rifles walking around. And I'll tell you what, Singapore is probably one of the most secure mm-hmm. city countries, also one of the smallest city countries. Uh, but maybe that's where we're headed. Maybe yeah. that is where we're headed. I, I I don't know. I know that there's not one answer to solve this problem, and I know there's no one thing that is going to end all the gun violence. In I this agree country. with Steve Kerr, though. Let's do let's let's do something. Yeah. Let's stop making this a political issue to yeah. die on a hill sure. about, and let's do something. I think there's a lot of things that need to be done, and I also agree with Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr lost his father uh, at the hands of, of gun violence. I've interviewed Steve Kerr about, and in fact, we played some of the audio yesterday. I caught up with Steve Kerr a few uh, years ago, and I asked him about gun violence in the October 1 shooting. He gave me a very well-thought-out answer. Uh, he's a very passionate guy. I have a problem with Steve Kerr being more emotional and Steve Kerr uh, you know, being more adamant about this issue than our politicians that are our lawmakers. We have a basketball coach that is more passionate about this issue than our politicians if on Capitol Hill. If nothing hits home, I mean, when I pictured in my mind a bunch of 10-year-old kids trapped in a room mm-hmm. with this guy— I mean, it brought tears to my face. I mean, this me this is one. This is the worst to me. This is the worst out of all the situation we face. This is right but there with Sandy Hook. The to most me. vulnerable yeah. of our society being trapped in a school, in a classroom when that when that yeah. maniac walks in. I said it yesterday. I can't even imagine uh, the last seconds of these innocent children of their lives, how scared they must have been. Uh, one story of someone who, who was trying to call their parents with a cell phone and, and calling nine one one and thinking quickly and. I mean, if anybody even knows what an AR-15 does to the human body, a 9- and 10-year-old, most of these kids are not even recognizable. People need to know this. Some people might say, Brian, you're being a little bit too graphic. People need to know what these types of weapons do to the human body. It doesn't even have to hit your bone for the bullets to explode in that body. These kids' faces were not recognizable. They were basically taken off. You cannot give me one legitimate reason, not one, why any law-abiding citizen in this country needs a bunch of assault weapons to protect themselves. There are plenty of other guns out there. You do not need an AR-15. And when you look at all these mass shootings, they're all AR-15s. And then all people on the right can say, what about the black-on-black crime in Chicago? What about the gun violence there? All sorts of gun violence are wrong. And we have a huge problem when it comes to gun violence. I'd love to end it all. But when you're talking about mass shootings... I mean, it's almost every day now where we hear about these mass shootings. It's, you know, just last week, these people in Buffalo have not, many of them have not even been buried yet, right? They haven't even had funerals yet. Innocent black people that are just going to the supermarket. They did nothing wrong. Executed. And now we have a bunch of nine and 10 year old kids. And it's, it's heartbreaking, but I'm sick of hearing about thoughts and prayers. You're right. Steve Kerr was right. And many of the Democrats are right. 
They don't want to take all your guns away. Well, let me tell you something about what's going on in D.C. right now. Mm-hmm. It's never been this bad. I know some lobbyists up there who do lobbyists for plaintiffs' attorneys and things like that. The two parties are not even talking to each other. They've never seen anything like this in the last 40 years. The parties, these, they're on both sides. They won't even engage in conversation. They're just in their own camps, and they're going to vote their own ways, and nothing is getting done. And I think the system, the system's broken. It's been broken for a while, but we're really realizing that this Republican, this republic system that we developed 250 years ago to have our representatives up there, that something has got to change. The system is not going to work. You're right. And I say the two worst words in this country are Republican and Democrat because too many of them make decisions based on what's better for their party and not what's better for the country. I am going to take the Democrat side on this issue. Joe Biden has passed gun legislation, assault weapons ban. Couldn't get through the Senate. Republicans. Barack Obama tried to do the same thing. Couldn't get through the Senate. Every single Democrat, except for maybe Joe Manchin, who's a moron, but every single Democrat in office is for background checks, uh, ending the loopholes, uh, an assault weapons ban. It is the Republicans that refuse to pass these laws. like Steve Kerr said, you know, we have an overwhelming majority of this country that agrees on the issue. Why don't we put it to a referendum, have an actual vote on it, like they do on some legislative acts that we have here in Nevada Mm -hmm. and California, and stop relying on – 50 people in Washington to agree. Let's just joke. put it and let's let's not, not let's not make the referendum 51%. Let's require an overwhelming majority. Let's put it up to 80 85%. Mm-hmm. And if that many people in the country agree on an issue, do it. 90% of the people in this country agree that something needs to be done here when it comes to guns. 90%. Who can disagree with more intense background checks? Of course. Who can disagree with that? The, but it won't pass. And the reason why it won't pass is because there's too many of these sitting senators in the pockets of the NRA. They want to remain in power. They want to keep their paycheck. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel was uh, very emotional last night on his show. He, he broke down for 10 minutes to start his show. This is, a, this is a, a late night talk show that's supposed to be funny. And he broke down for 10 minutes, and, and he said it best also. These are unprecedented times we're living in. All these shows, even shows on Comedy Central, these are hosts that are talking about politics and they're breaking down. And, and you're right. Fifty sitting senators are holding this country hostage. Fifty of them, the overwhelming majority of them, in the back pocket of the NRA, they want to remain in power. The, and, and, and by the way, before we go to break, speaking of some of these despicable people, Governor Abbott in Texas, do you know what he did three hours after the shooting? Tell me. Three hours after the shooting... He went and drove 300 miles to a fundraising event. He tried to raise money. So while they were counting dead bodies, he was counting money. Again, three hours. What would Las Vegas have said? What would they have said if our governor, three hours after the October 1 shooting, went to a fundraiser? What would they have said about that? That's what Governor Abbott did. Governor Abbott, over the course of the last several years, and by the way, this is, he's no stranger to mass shootings. Remember what happened in Texas, El Paso? Right. For the last several years, he has put laws into place to make it easier for people to get guns, even people that are mentally ill. He's done that. And now, from my understanding, he has a speaking engagement with the NRA tomorrow. Again, let that sink in for a second. Three hours after this shooting, when they hadn't even counted the bodies of these poor, innocent children, they were counting bodies in that school. And Governor Abbott was counting money. It's money in politics. And these – look, I know a lot of local politicians that they spend half their term actually working and the other half 
trying to get elected for the next term. That's a big problem. They're always focused on how do I get elected, and a lot of it has to do with money. Mm-hmm. If you and, don't have money, you're not going to be able to run a campaign. And, and I hear you, and maybe some people will call me a lefty for saying this. I don't care. I can't remember the last time there was a Democrat in power in a state. You don't even have to be the governor. An assemblyman, for crying out loud. When you had a mass shooting or a mass casualty event, and then several hours after that event, a Democrat went to a fundraising event, I've never heard of that before. It's a really bad look. It's a why horrible is it there, look. Why is it that so many of these Republicans are going to be talking tomorrow? Uh, it's so interesting. Donald Trump's speaking in front of the NRA tomorrow. Guess, guess something they're not allowing in that room. Guns. Guns. <laughs> so these are the – it is laughable. Yeah. These are some of the same yeah. people that want open carry everywhere, but the second Donald Trump speaks somewhere, in this case an NRA event, we're not going to allow you to bring guns in there. So only when it's convenient for them. It's, it, it's just despicable. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to take a, a, a quick break. Uh, we're joined by Thomas Moskal, former DA here in Clark County, also their top DUI prosecutor, now running his own firm. We're going we're gonna to talk. Uh, we're gonna, he's going to come back with us, and we're going to talk uh, a little bit about an NRA statement. The NRA just made a statement. Can't wait to read that. Uh, and I want to hear from some of these parents it's going to be excruciating but i think it's important the pain that they are going through we need to know what they are going through and like you said uh thomas something needs to be done so we'll take a quick break we'll be back right after this you are listening to pushing the limits right here on kshp hey everybody are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of brooklyn that true blue new york style pie well worry no more stallone's italian eatery pizza is a knockout we're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas's top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you, his relationships with the prosecutors and judges, and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. A great time! Your entertainment destination, the South Point, invites you to experience the ultimate great time under one roof. Bowling, dancing, a live show, a movie, delicious dining, and one of South Point's 11 restaurants. So much to see, so much to do, you won't know where to start first. This week, make it a South Point week and discover for yourself why the South Point is your entertainment destination for a great time. 
Best of Las Vegas winners each of the last two years. Glazed Donuts is a family business. Taste the passion and quality in each delectable handmade donut. Experience amazing fresh donuts at Glazed Donuts. Located at 6545 South Fort Apache Road on the southwest corner of Sunset. Glaze is open every day from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. If you're interested in large orders, please call them at 702-246-2888. Follow Glaze on Facebook and Instagram where they're showing off all their delicious treats. And check them out at glazedonutslv.com. Hi, I am Eva Chase, a transgender woman, progressive, independent candidate for lieutenant governor for this year. I have ran a grassroots campaign. I have funded my entire campaign. I am not part of the political establishment. A college graduate, a veteran from the U.S. Air Force, have resided in Las Vegas since 2007 and have worked at MGM Resorts at the Shark Reef Aquarium since 2009. I strongly support the LGBTQ community, women's rights, expanding voting rights, and veteran affairs. As a veteran, I really want to help our veterans get a better shake in our state. They really get the wrong end of the stick. And other progressive items. If you want positive change, fresh new ideas... You need to vote Eva Chase, Lieutenant Governor for Nevada, this year. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and also YouTube. June 14th primary, make the right choice. Eva Chase, Lieutenant Governor for Nevada, this year. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. All right, welcome back. Pushing the limits on a Thursday. So glad you could join us. Hey, I want you guys to check out my friend Brian Slipbuck, Jackson's Bar and Grill, located at Flamingo and Jones. You walk in there, you mention my name, sign up for a player's card, you get $10 free slot play right off the bat. And if you hit a jackpot, no matter what it is, if it's a taxable jackpot, whatever you win, you get 10% of that in free play. So please check them out. Jackson's Bar and Grill. They are located at Flamingo and Jones. Great people, great food, uh, and a great atmosphere. Uh, we got Thomas Moskal in studio. Speaking of great people, a former DA here in Clark County, just got a message from a friend, somebody who's watching. He said, you are a smooth-looking cat in a very heterosexual way. That's what he said. So, <laughs> he said uh, he, right? He. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chris Wynn. It was Chris Wynn, actually, who said that. Uh, so you're, you're impressing. Yeah, even... well, I got the little faux hawk going uh, today. <laughs> you know, I heard you started your YouTube today. So I was like, if this is going on YouTube, I, did. We are... I need to do the hair. You no, did? Yeah. String, oh, I don't really have any hair today. Last so. second, I had a t-shirt on. I was going with you. I said, no, I got to look sharp today. This you do. YouTube you're, debut. Well, you're listen, you're an attorney. You're the former DA. That's your, you know, you got to look sharp. That, yeah. That, that's what it is. Unfortunately, it comes with the territory. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. I'm glad I'm a radio person. What can I say about <laughs> that? You know, obviously, we're talking about this horrendous situation that took place in Texas, an emotional 
Horrible situation. Um, what I want to do is I want to play a clip from a parent, and then I'm going to read the NRA mm. statement because it'll show you how ridiculous this NRA statement is in the empty words. This was something that I saw yesterday, Thomas. Anderson Cooper, and I think the CNN coverage has been great. The Fox News coverage on this shooting is basically how everybody's politicizing it and Joe Biden's politicizing it. It's just despicable. I, could, I tried to put on Fox News for 30 seconds. I got so angry, I threw my shoe at the television. I mean, I, just, I was so angry. I really did. That's how angry I was. You got Sean Hannity and Lauren Ingram and everybody, uh, they're saying, well, don't politicize this. You know, every, oh, the left, all they're doing is, no, they're not. They're not politicizing it. They're trying to come up with solutions to make sure this stuff doesn't happen again while you people are politicizing it on the right, attacking Joe Biden and Democrats, calling Beto O'Rourke, uh, you know, calling him names because he stood up to that despicable governor. I mean, it gets me so fired up, um, but this is difficult to listen to, but I, uh, it choked me up the first time I heard it. This is not easy, but this is a parent doing a live interview. He's a first responder, so he was one of the, he's a paramedic. He was one of the first people on the scene when they were trying to get kids out of there, and he's interviewing with Anderson Cooper, and just have a listen. Uh, the moment that he found out that his daughter was mm. shot, L- listen to this. So I... I'm a med aide, so when I arrived on the scene, they still had kids inside. They started bringing the kids out, and I was aiding assistance. One little girl was just just covered in blood, head to toe. Like I thought she was injured. I asked her what was wrong, and she said she's okay. She was hysterical, saying that they shot her best friend, that they killed her best friend, and she's not breathing. And she was trying to call the cops. And I asked the little girl the name, and she's. <laughs> And she told me, she said, Amory. That's how you learn. (laughs) She was so sweet, Mr. Cooper. She was the sweetest little girl who did nothing wrong. She listened to her mom and dad. She always brushed her teeth. She did. She was creative. She made things for us. She never got in trouble in school. Like, I just want to know what she did to be a victim. <laughs> it's really hard hearing that. I think if any any reasonable decent human being and 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 you have a three-year-old god as a father that's heartbreaking right Uh, there i mean you feel like you didn't do your job to protect well i want to read you the nra statement after hearing that audio thomas here's the statement that the nra put out scripted at least to me but i'll read it to you our deepest sympathies are with the families and victims involved in this horrific and evil crime on behalf of our members we salute the courage of school op- officials, first responders, and others who offer their support and services. Although an investigation is underway and facts are still emerging, we recognize this was the act of a lone, deranged criminal. As we gather in Houston, we will reflect on these events, pray for the victims, recognize our patriotic members, and pledge to uh, our commitment to making our schools secure. Notice how they said, as we gather in Houston. They're gathering in Houston tomorrow and having a little NRA get-together days after a bunch of little children were killed. Yes, at the hands of a deranged madman, but also the use of one of the weapons that they promote, which is an assault weapon. What are your thoughts on that when you hear that? Well, what do you expect the NRA to say? I mean, you would have been flabbergasted if they came out and actually said something that was apropos to the moment. And of not, course. And not with their narrative. Uh, my, my thing is the one thing I take out of that statement is... 
what are you doing to increase security at schools and, and to stop these things from happening? That was part of their statement. Like, what exactly is the NRA doing Nothing. on that front? They just want to sell more weapons. I mean, they, they want the gun manufacturers to sell more weapons. I mean, that's really that's really what we're talking about here. But that's that's a very good point. It's a very good point. You know, and I mean, how much money are they putting for to increase security at schools? If they are saying, hey, let's let's have more security at schools yeah. or what money are they putting forth for mental health screening of early early warning signs on kids that might do this or adults that might do this? Uh, that'd be an interesting question to ask. Well, Thomas, it's a really good question. I would uh, beg to answer and say they're probably doing nothing. They're probably doing nothing. And if they're doing anything, it's just to make them look good. It's not to protect people. Like the NRA, uh, there's a lot of people I know that are members of the NRA. They're not very happy with the leadership of the NRA. What did want- Charlton Heston say from my cold, yeah, dead hands? Dead yeah. Hands. yeah. You know, I remember. Applause erupted. I remember that Michael Moore movie back in the day. I believe it was called Roger and Me. And if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the movie, Carlton Heston, uh, he interviews Heston. And it was days after a little girl was shot and killed in that city. Mm-hmm. And Heston was making an appearance. And Michael Moore, who I think is a, a brilliant filmmaker, don't always agree with him, but he's a brilliant filmmaker. And I believe him to be a very compassionate person. And he says to Heston, why now? Mr. Heston, why now? Can't you wait? Can't you do this somewhere else? Why here? That. Why now? It's a very powerful moment. And I think it's one of the most powerful moments in any movie that I've ever seen because he shows the picture of this little girl, right, who was shot and killed and murdered. Yes, by a criminal, but the use of a gun. And Heston could have said, gosh, that's horrible. I want to know that girl's name. That's terrible. I was unaware of this situation. I'd like to reach out to the family. He could have said anything like that and still done his event, but he didn't. He gets up. He got up. And he walks away. I remember it. It was a powerful moment. He had nothing to say. Nothing to say. And that's what these 50 senators have been doing. They get up and they walk away. And they've been doing it for years. They have nothing to say. Or in the case of somebody like Ted Cruz, they they make themselves look even worse. They talk about a back door that was locked. They're all Charleston Hestons of the world. But they are more powerful than Heston. Because Heston wasn't a policymaker. Despicable because he was making money off the NRA for years to being a spokesman. But he's not a policymaker. That's what these policymakers are doing. They're getting up and they're walking away. They're accepting their checks. They're remaining in power. And it, it has to end now. That's what Steve Kerr was saying. That's what a lot of people are saying. I think even decent people, Republicans and Democrats. This isn't to me it's not I hate Republicans, you know? That's not that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about I hate the Republicans that are doing nothing about it. I know there are Republicans out there. That want to do something. The Republican Party needs some some people who are actually about action and about cooperation. Both parties need that. Uh, more so on the Republican side, though. So I agree with you. Uh, police in this press conference said that there were, quote unquote, negotiations going on between police and the shooter while the shooter was inside the school. But they're not releasing any more details. They also said there was video from inside the school they were looking at. Eventually, that video is probably going to become public. Oh, it will definitely become public. Yeah. There's no criminal case here. The guy's dead. Right. He's so dead. they can't block the, uh, the right. access of the reporters on this one. If there were negotiations, my questions are, what was said? How were there negotiations? And why did you decide to negotiate with him after you heard all these gunshots ring out? Allegedly, after he already barricaded himself. And like you said, barricade with what? Chairs? Why would you try to negotiate? You negotiate with somebody in a worst-case scenario, correct me if I'm wrong, 
to try to save lives. Exactly. Okay? It doesn't make any sense to me unless they thought that he was in a classroom with other kids or something. It doesn't make any sense to me because all these gunshots already ran out. Well, I, I have to go back to this. I have to think, and this is all assumption, that they were not sure if there were still some kids that were alive in that classroom and that that's what they're – there's a fog of war. Gunshots rung out. There's chaos everywhere. They're not sure of what the facts are. And that's the only thing that can explain the lack of action and the, the, the choice to try and negotiate. But, you know, we, we don't know what happened until we get all the, the surveillance right. will tell all the you're, surveillance will tell all the radio right. communications will tell all. You're right. Even with that being said, I don't I wouldn't buy the fact that they were trying to negotiate with him for 45 minutes. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not buying it. Uh, they should have gotten in there sooner. This isn't Monday morning quarterback. It's an obviousity. Uh You can't wait an hour, especially with our kids in these in these schools and, and, and shots rang out. You can't wait an hour. You have to go in there and engage the suspect, especially in this type of circumstance. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of liability, and there'll probably be a lot of uh, civil cases. No question about that. Some lawsuits, but it's not going to bring these kids back, man. It's, it's not going to bring them back, and it's not going to change anything on the books. So as a former DA here in Clark County, what would you do if something? if you were still the DA here and if – we had a shooting like this take place in a school here in Clark County. What would you recommend be put on the books? What would you do? As far as legal law. policy, yes. law, yeah. they could pass? Like I said, you know, I think that if we're looking for a quick solution, the quickest solution to try and have some impact, I, I do think having security at the schools is the quickest solution while we're still hammering out all the things they're going to take months mm-hmm. and years and maybe decades, I mm-hmm. hate to say it. Uh, but that would be the first thing I would pass, and I would get voter support for uh, devoting our tax resources to it. Uh, maybe even because it's all about the money, right? Yeah. We have no sales tax here. Why don't we? Hey, voters, are we good with a little bit of a sales tax? And this is what we're going to use it for, just for this purpose. Mm-hmm. And let's do it right now. Because as a parent, I'm glad my son's only three. He's not in school yet. But man, I have some problems with thinking that I'm dropping him off to a school for a day. I'd rather take him to a school where maybe me and the other parents, it's a private school, and we're personally paying for security to be there. Because I, that was a heartbreaking little piece that you played from Anderson Cooper to it's realize tough. that your little one died because you feel like you need to protect that little one Mm -hmm. and you dropped him off at that school and now he's gone where was dad i mean to think that you told me earlier a kid was trying to call their parent on the phone that girl my god to hear that as a parent that girl who lost her life and that father that was talking said that little girl grabbed her phone and called 911 called the police i mean you want to talk about a gunt-wrenching phone call knowing that moments later that little girl was shot and killed um, let, let me, but about the policy thing, you know, look, possession of firearms by prior felons is a crime that we prosecute a lot here in Clark County. You got, you find a guy, he's a, had a felony, he's never supposed to have a firearm on him, he has it. And DA Wolfson, they try to push those cases, and you, you try and get those things. But the, the thing is, you can make the laws as draconian as you want. I mean, I think that's one thing the legislature looks at. It goes, hey, let's, uh, let's increase penalties. I think. If you really want to keep the firearms out of people's hands that, you know, let's say you're not registered, you don't have the proper background check, I'm going to catch some flack for this, but let's make the laws draconian, okay? Overseas, 
you get a DUI overseas, like in Germany, man, they hit you hard. There's no misdemeanor DUI slap on the wrist. And guess what? Nobody drives drunk over there. When you cut off somebody's hand back in the day because they stole a loaf of bread, they're not really going to be thinking about stealing loaves of bread. And so there's this idea on the left, especially with some of our judiciary, not to send anybody to prison. Our legislature is liberalizing the laws to make it harder to send people to prison or keep them there. Let's have a real strict firearms policy because whatever policy we put forward or law we pass, it will not be followed by the public unless they know, hey, I get caught with just possessing this kind of firearm. I'm gone. 10 years. I'm 20 years. Totally. I am totally 100% totally cool with that and there's a video that i've watched and i've watched this video that uh, numchuck is showing me right now it's a video of law enforcement outside of the school as the shooting is happening and in that video that is circulating online you see people outside begging the police officers to go in begging this is not really something that we've seen a lot of that is a genuine video because I've watched it a bunch of times, and it's real. While the shooting is happening and cops are just waiting, you have maybe parents out there begging the officers to go into a school. That cannot happen. It can't happen. They admit that the police went into Rob Elementary School during the shooting to get their own kids out of the school. No way. That is what law enforcement are confirming, if that is a confirmation, that there are members of the law enforcement community there. Well, I believe it. I mean, just put yourself in that situation. You come you come on the scene, and the order from above is don't go in until SWAT gets there. Your own kid's in there. It's time to put the badge and gun on the desk. I'm going in to get my own kid. Everybody should have done that. And you know what? But you got police out there barricading the parents from going into the school. There's not a parent alive that wouldn't go in there to rescue their own kid, risk, risk life and limit that point. Agree, but those are the con- inconsistencies. You can't have police. I don't blame those cops for going in there. I wish all of them did. If you're brave enough as an officer to go in there to save your own kid, then it is your job to go in there and save other kids that you don't know. That is at least allow the yes. parents that are outside the school to go in yeah, and that, try to do something. That is why I use the term coward. And I don't use that term loosely, but I'll say it again. Based on the evidence that we have, the shouts from people pleading for them to go in, they waited an hour. Some officers, and I saw that report, and some of those officers in the press admitted that some went in there to get their own kids out. You cannot tell me that that is proper protocol to let officers wait outside the school, but let several officers go in to get their own kids out. That's wrong. And that can't happen. And I want to find out who's responsible for telling those police officers to hold back. I want to know because they should be fired. They should be fired. And I get it. Ongoing investigation, more information that hasn't come out yet. Fine. The information is never going to come out, Brian. Mm -hmm. They're going to make sure it never comes out. Look, I worked in government for a long time. It's complete CYA. Cover your butt. Let's call it CYB for radio. That's what it is. Whenever yeah. something like this goes down, the government officials are put are going to try to control the situation, the information that gets out. That's why I use the term coward, and uh, I'm not surprised to get hear that new information. Uh, we only have a few more minutes here. I want to ask you about a situation that has taken place in Las Vegas just last week. We have a basketball official, and this basketball official 
uh, was assaulted, punched in the face by a son of a coach, and then the coach. This official almost lost his life. There's video that I saw. I saw the video yesterday. Clear, a clear assault. Perry Woodward. Perry Woodward is the official that was injured. I know Perry. I've worked with him before, and I had some of those uh, people that were there in studio yesterday. My understanding right now, he was charged with battery, and uh, they might be looking at more charges. Well, I'll tell you what. Somebody needs to really take a close look at this case because I looked it up online last Mm -hmm. night to see what the records are. There's no open case with the county. The county handles felony and gross misdemeanor charges, which means it was probably submitted to Las Vegas Municipal Court. City Attorney Brian Scott, someone needs to talk to him and say, refer this over to Wolfson's camp, the county, because these are felony charges. Look, battery with substantial bodily harm, which is what happened. He qualifies for it. Mm -hmm. He had surgeries, the teeth. It's a C-class felony. When you're an official at a sporting event, it's on the books. You're a protected person. Battery with substantial bodily harm on a protected person is a B-class felony. Mm-hmm. So instead of one to five years, and you're going to get out with good time for credit, certain you know credit for time served pretty quickly. B-class felonies are different. Why can't it be attempted murder though? Because he came inches of his life. I'm gonna be serious. Attempt murder is all about a crime of the mind. What did the person intend? And I'm gonna tell you, even going into all the facts, I don't think that that basketball coach was intending to kill Perry Woodward. Agree. It's the but what if he thing. dies? But what if he dies? But still, it's all about what you intended, right? So what would you get him on then? If you're the DA, if what, he would dies? You, what would you charge him with based on everything you know in it's, this case? It's probably going to be involuntary manslaughter or, or voluntary manslaughter. You think he gets jail, jail time? You know what? Not unless someone takes a look at it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm actually pretty inflamed about that situation. I watched your show yesterday. I followed it in the news. And I know it's not the hottest story. But there's two things that need to happen. Number one, the DA needs to be made aware of it. You know, you're in the referee community. Mm-hmm. Brian, get the referees together. Have them come talk to me. I'll go have a meeting with Wolfson. I'll get Brian Scott to refer the case over. I might and then, do that. Yep. And yeah, and then once it's on the DA's uh, radar, it's like make an example out of this guy because it is a huge problem. And this is why you have the plaintiff's attorneys, too. Look, the criminal side can only do so much. Most of these judges are not going to give this guy prison time. It's super offensive, though. But you need the DA on the case to take an interest in it. My understanding is this guy also has a record. Um, he's been I wouldn't kicked, be surprised. He's been kicked out a bunch of uh, gymnasiums here in town. Uh, but you know what? Doolittle, look, put me in touch with Perry Woodward because from the civil standpoint, we sue their ass. They make a change to have some security at these events because it is obnoxious what these parents and coaches are doing. Agreed. And these refs need protection. And I think Perry Woodward deserves to get a big payday out of this. His I life do. will probably never be the same. Put me in touch with him. I will. I can promise you I will do that. I'm incensed about it. Yeah, so am I. This is why I got my law license. Like, Mm -hmm. let's affect some change. As a prosecutor, you can't do much. But as a plaintiff's Mm -hmm. attorney, if we could get security on all of these AAU games across the country because we get a big settlement, big lawsuit. I agree. Uh, I'm going to do that. And and this story is not going to go away. All right, so I got to do one of these live reads, and I said to myself, why don't I just put pressure on myself? What do I do it right in front of Thomas? I'm going to do a Thomas. Are you going to do my live read? I'm going to do it right now, and then you're going to tell me how I did. All right, here we go. There's not a lot of attorneys in this town that I trust, right? I trust Thomas Moskal. I trust Sandy Van. They're friends of mine. You know Thomas because he has a history of, of first of all, the relationships he has with, with the prosecution, with judges, uh, with basically everybody in this town. It's because he's the former DA of Clark County. That's why he was the top prosecutor for DUI cases. We all know in this town, if you get a DUI, you get a felony on your record. 
That is serious. You need somebody that knows what they're doing, that has the relationships with people. Thomas Moskal's that guy. I want everyone to give him a call or text him. The number is 702-848-5555. Again, that number is 702-848-5555. And as I say before and I say again, you hire an attorney, how cool is it? You say, hey, he's the former DA. That's my guy. That's my attorney. I think that's pretty darn cool, and uh, this guy knows what he's doing. Uh, I would never get a DUI, but if I know anybody that does get one, this is the guy that I would say, the number one guy that I would say, you need to talk to this guy because he's going to take care of you, Thomas Moskal. All right, how did I do there? Ten. Really? Wow. I you a ten. That good? Yeah. That's pretty good. It's going to be a hard act to follow. I don't think listen to the live reads from now on. All right, good. Good, good. All right, there you go. Thomas, I do appreciate you being here as always, my no, man. Thanks for having me. I want to have you in again next week because I want to uh, get you in touch with uh, Perry. And, yeah, uh, let's get do something going. about that. Let's do that. Don't let that fall off the radar. Thanks no, for covering that story. I will, and I'm going to keep covering it, and I'm going to get you in touch with the right people. Okay, Thomas, I will. In fact, I'm going to do that today because uh, we've got to make sure that this, this man is brought to justice. All right, there you have it, everybody. Former DA, uh, Clark County, Thomas Moscow. Give him a call. Appreciate you being here as always, my man. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. He makes me look better with his lavish looks. He makes me look better. (laughs) Doesn't he, Nunchuck? All right, we're going to take a break. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moscow. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702 708-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555.